Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, rural Georgia faces some specific challenges, including certain infrastructure needs, health care and workforce development. We'll discuss how the USDA is helping with resources. And from our listener favorites, they are among Atlanta's hip-hop royalty, a conversation with the members of Goody Mob. If nobody else liked it, we liked it, you know what I mean, like for what it was at the time, and we supported ourselves. That's how we sustained ourselves until we broke wide, you know, and got back nationwide and then ultimately international recognition. Good conversation coming up. All that's ahead. But first, we'll begin with the major news regarding DeKalb County Schools. The DeKalb County School Board has fired the district superintendent, Cheryl Watson-Harris, effective immediately. This occurring yesterday during a special call board meeting. Joining Closer Look now with the latest because there's so much surrounding this, WABE education reporter Martha Dalton. Martha, welcome. Thanks, Rose. (laughs) Second day in a row, huh? That's right. (laughs) And, and I will say, I think off air, you may have predicted this. So I'm just saying the the yeah. cosmic world, you know, may Ooh. have picked up on that. Let's begin here, Martha. What reason did the board give to terminating the contract of Superintendent uh, Watson Harris? Well, that's what's really interesting, Rose. You know, they didn't exactly give a specific reason, but here's what they said. It says, uh, this is from a press release they sent out. The board noted that its relationship with Mrs. Watson-Harris had been deteriorating for some time to the point the relation, sorry, to the point association became irreconcilable. Hmm. The board lost confidence in Mrs. Watson-Harris's ability to provide leadership the district needs in the face of significant challenges. Now, keep in mind when it says it's been deteriorating for a while, She's she was only on the job for a year and 10 months. So, you know, that's the sort of span of time we're talking about here. Hmm. Now, according to some reports, I just saw something on AJC.com. The superintendent, the former superintendent stated this was a surprise um, that she was blindsided by the board's decision. Do you know, have you been able to uncover whether or not the board even told Watson Harris prior to taking this vote in executive session? It appears that she wasn't told about this, uh, but it also appears that the board, or at least a section of the board, had been planning this for a while. They had a press releases ready to go. They had an interim superintendent ready to go. It seemed like this was a very uh, deliberate and thought out uh, vote. Um, and some of the other board members who opposed you know, the firing said that said as much that they felt like they were sort of ambushed by members of the board who were 
sort of planning this and decided to go ahead with this vote yesterday. And Martha, was it a listener actually asked this too? This is just a simple majority, the rules of the vote, whatever the simple majority is, that's the decision? Right. And actually, two board members were not there at the meeting. So it was a four to one vote, um, you know, with a total of five members there. Um, they had, I, I guess, enough to hold the vote. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have a quorum of mm-hmm. members. They had enough to hold the vote. So that's what they did. Um, but yes, that's that's correct. It's a simple majority. Wow. And we should note the most recent issue was the district coming under fire after a student produced video revealed some horrific conditions inside Druid Hills High School. Martha, was this a factor in the superintendent's firing? It's hard to say exactly, but it seems like it had to play a role. You know, Rose, you and I talked the other day about State Superintendent Richard Woods' letter to the board telling them that they had to address repairs in a more comprehensive way. They had to do more than what they had agreed to do. And in response, the board chair, Vicki Turner, uh, response to the superintendent pretty much pointed to Watson Harris and said, you know, She's in charge of day-to-day operations, and therefore, if schools had ongoing repair problems, it was her responsibility to see that they were fixed. Hmm. Well, you're right. The video, of course, got the attention of the Georgia Department of Education. Uh, we, you just told us what they had to say. To your knowledge, have they put out a statement, or are they probably wondering, well, I guess they were caught off guard as well. Have we heard anything from the State Board of Education about this most recent development? Not about this most recent development, but there has been an interesting sort of legislative um, piece to this, which is that State Senator Elena Parent has sent a letter to the governor and the state superintendent asking them to investigate. Now, she represents part of DeKalb. Mm -hmm. Um, She's not um, she's not in any way. uh, Elected to oversee the school board, but she, you know, as a concerned a cab rep was asking them to investigate. Mm, and reaction from parents, students, the community, a mixed bag? Or, or what have you noticed? What have you been hearing and seeing? I dare I went to the Facebook page. and <laughs> <laughs> Always a risk. Yes. <laughs> um, right. Well, the short answer is yes. Like you said, it's mixed. But I have heard from parents who think, you know, the board is sort of trying to scapegoat Watson Harris, um, you know, and blame her for the problems that it, the board has not addressed. And of course, you know, other parents and students are concerned because this has now dominated headlines. Here we are talking about it, um, as opposed to the repairs that need to be made to the schools. So a lot of people are also seeing it as kind of this big distraction as well. Yes, because at this point, we still know that if students touch a certain pole or wall, they might be electrocuted. So they might want to fix that. Um, right. <laughs> just putting it out there, folks. Uh, as of now, the board has named an, in- an interim from within. Who is this, Martha? Yes, um, but Vassan Tinsley is, uh, had been serving as a deputy superintendent in the district, and she will now walk into this interim position. And again, really early to know what the board will do next, but are they talking publicly about the decision or when a national search might begin? Or <laughs> They haven't yet, um, but I do think it's important to point out that when boards do this and they decide to enter these separation agreements with superintendents, They've hired for three-year contracts. Um, Of course, like we said, Watson Harris had only been on the job a year and 10 months. They have to pay out that contract. And so for DeKalb, this is going to be, for Watson Harris, it's going to be more than $325,000, more than that, to pay out the the remainder of what's on her contract. 
Um, now, this is a school district who's also saying we can't pay for repairs. You know, so I just I think that's something that's important to keep in mind. And this is certainly not the first time this has happened in DeKalb. It's the last couple of superintendents, with the exception of Michael Thurmond um, and Ramona Tyson, who was just interim. Um, you know, they they've entered into these agreements with with several others. And, it you know, it ends up costing the district every time they do that. Oh, yes. Finally, Martha, correct me if I'm wrong, because my math might be a little fuzzy. This is the <laughs> fifth, sixth DeKalb County school superintendent within 10 to 12 years. Am I off? What? Right. No, it depends on how you count it, because um, Ramona Ty- Tyson was the interim twice. So if you count her each time she was interim. Well, let's count her. Been, yeah. OK, we're going to go ahead and count her. Then it's been six superintendents in, tw- in 10 years. Yeah. Wow. WABE education reporter Martha Dalton, thank you so much for taking the time. You were on this. We appreciate you keeping our listeners informed. Thank you so much, Martha. Thanks, Rose. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Closer Look continues here on 90.1 WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Describing, or rather defining, rural America can be subjective. Now, for census purposes, rural is defined as, quote, in all population, housing, and territory not included within an urbanized area or urban clustered, whatever that means. That's what they say. Now, here's what the latest census also revealed. 46 million U.S. residents live in rural areas. That was in 2020, making up 14% of the U.S. population. But understand this, whether it's health care, access to health care, quality health care, which is important, workforce development, rural Georgians face some challenges that might sound familiar to urban areas, and then they might be totally different. And here's what we know. Addressing those needs, it is not a one-size-fits-all approach. Our next guest is here to share more insight about the resources available for rural Georgia. He's the state director for the USDA's Rural Development Program, and I bet a lot of you didn't even know we had that. Reggie Taylor, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the time. You know, two years ago, as this pandemic was was gripping the way we all were living, I remember reading a piece, and I actually went back to look it up from American Progress, that began, quote, The current economic crisis in the U.S. requires a renewed commitment to investing in rural communities in order to ensure that they have a prominent place in this country's future. Close quote. So let me ask you this, Reggie. Um, How has the pandemic exposed challenges for America's rural communities? Well, you know, rural America faces a a bevy of of challenges. But one of the things that in particular is health care and infrastructure, right? So what we do at Rural Development is we try to plug those gaps and work with communities to 
bring quality health care and essential infrastructure to those communities that are in need of our rural communities here across Georgia. When you say close the gap, someone listening says, well, Reggie, how big is that gap? Uh, it's it's huge. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can't put a real dollar amount on it, but, you know, a lot of our communities out there have financial challenges and we try to um, mitigate some of that through our programs that we offer, um, whether it be water and sewer infrastructure or community facilities such as uh, schools, mm-hmm. and, uh, libraries and things of that nature. We want to talk about that in a moment. But, you know, I also know that the rural population have been declining. I think it was about 60 million back in 2017. If you believe those numbers, um, is that concerning for someone like you and what you all do that now we're talking about 46 million in the last census, but back in 2017, 60 million. That's a big drop. Yeah, that's a huge drop. You know, our work uh, that we do, we try to make sure that those communities still have the resources that they're needing uh, and try to provide that. So it's, you know, it's it's a challenge when you have such population loss. However, those needs still exist. There's still needs for bridges and there's still needs for uh, emergency vehicles and such. So we still try to stand in that gap and, and, you know, help support those communities. I know there's been a lot of funding recently revealed, of course, through all the the Biden administrations, through through their programs. But when we talk about health care and infrastructure, is that at the top? And I guess one could argue and say, look, Yes, because if folks aren't healthy, they can't work, period. So your economy suffers if you don't have a viable, healthy workforce. So health care access to quality health care is at the top when we talk about the plight of, of our of our nation, and particularly with, with rural Georgia. Oh, absolutely. You know, we, we fund uh, medical centers and hospitals across the state, you know, that are in our eligible areas. And we want to make sure that we do provide that structure or that financing for those communities to continue to be healthy. Um, you know, we have several programs through our community facilities um, that kind of focus and target healthcare, uh, particularly hospitals. So we do that and we try to work with those uh, communities to identify those needs and, you know, provide that funding for them. So um, it is a challenge, but we, we're here to try to help that. Well, when you talk about healthcare, because we know about the plight of hospitals, rural hospitals, so many have been closing. How far out, and you heard my definition, or at least this is what the census definition in terms of rural. When you look at a region like Atlanta, how far out, when does rural begin? Is it Macon, a little bit beyond Macon? You know, there's different pockets of, of where we typically consider rural areas. You know, Metro Atlanta, of course, is not the 10 county metro area. It's not going to be. Uh, pretty much in our rural footprint. Mm-hmm. Uh, Macon, some of Macon, Bibb County may not be in our rural footprint, but we're looking at, you know, some of our coastal areas and some of our southern communities, uh, the Camillas and, the, you know, the Vidalia's areas of, of Georgia. We're looking at, you know, areas out beyond Fort Valley and those particular communities, uh, you know, Washington, Georgia and, and the such, and out in Sandersville. You know, those areas we really try to uh, pay a lot of attention and most of those areas where you will find a USDA uh, area office, uh, either it's rural development or FSA, which is the Farm Service Administration, or our other partners, which is our um, Natural Soils and Conservation Service. Uh, so you'll find us out in the rural communities. That's our job and that's our charge. 
How much did the pandemic make you all, force you all to even shift a little bit more and focus on some priorities in terms of health care? And then, you know, we could have another conversation about, you know, the vaccine, getting the vaccine out to these rural areas. But how much of shifting, how much of a shift did you all have to take? And are you still continuing to deal with COVID-19 related issues? Oh, absolutely. We do have um, emergency health care grant funding. Uh, to help some of these uh, rural hospitals cope with the increase of the COVID cases that they saw during the pandemic. So we are still funding uh, and looking at programs or excuse me, projects uh, in the rural communities that will address COVID. So yes, it's still on our radar. And in terms of infrastructure, listen, we know we we could, we've heard so much about our our nation's infrastructure. I mean, I'm not making jokes about our bridges and and some of our roadways, but let's be really clear. A lot of them are just terrible and in poor condition. But then also when you look at in in rural parts of Georgia, infrastructure needs, does that also include broadband and and things of that nature? Are you focusing just on actual transportation related issues? Oh no, broadband is front and center for us. Uh, Connectivity um, you know, we want to be able to offer that same connectivity as anyone in a, a metro or urban area to our rural folks. And so we have our reconnect program, which is fantastic. We're doing so many projects with that um, across the state to try to help these rural communities get a level playing field when it comes to Internet, and, you know, getting out with, with e-commerce and things of that nature. So uh, we are all in uh, when I say rural development. I mean, everything. Well, what is reconnect? Are you all putting down some, let's be really clear too, and I'm not hating on some types of access for the internet, but you need some type of fiber in rural, right? You can't just tell folks to plug into and, I mean, I mean, it's rural, right? You got to have fiber. You give <laughs> you giving my rural people fiber. Is that what you're doing, Reggie? We're putting it out there. We're working with our partners in those communities um, to provide that service. And they are laying the groundwork for that. And we are funding that through our uh, reconnect program. They're doing it now. They're, They're doing, doing it now. now. So if I, if I, if I holler at my folks in Tipton and they say, I don't know what Reggie talking about. Cause we won't have no fiber. I'm going to call you back, Reggie. You can call me back. Uh, we're right here in Athens. <laughs> we're right here. I've heard that before. You can call me back, but I, but I want to get your thoughts on this. Cause when you think of what, and not just rural populations in, in our nation, but particularly because our rural communities provide so much for us folks here in the urban area. Let's not, let's be clear about that. We need them. When you think about rural Georgia and what it could look like in 10 or 20 years, what sort of industries do you expect to drive that economy in, in those populations? I'll tell you what, we look at the community leaders to, to kind of help us uh, shake that vision, right? They know their communities. And so what we do is we try to support that along with what's going on with the state and their economic development tools and the things that they are recruiting for. Um, as we all know, Savannah is a key uh, economic development engine for the state of Georgia, right? Mm-hmm. And so we want to help those communities in the rural area that want to connect with that. And we try to work with them and figure out ways that we can help them connect to that uh, economic engine. So. We have a you know a real interest in that, and we'd leave it to the communities to help us kind of map that out. Do you think that that if all these projects and everything that you've told me how y'all are helping, do you think that will perhaps keep some of the the younger generations to stay in in the rural communities? Of course, they don't have to, but is that also part of the goal too? 
Well, absolutely. We, you know, we recognize that there's a brain drain. Of course, folks uh, leaving the rural communities, going up to your Atlantas, your Macon's, and your Savannas. We recognize that. But through our reconnect program and through our internet programs, we hope that they will choose to continue to stay in our rural communities. Um, it's vitally important, not only just because they're there. A lot of these folks with this great education or the, the tools that they have serve on community boards, school districts and such. So we still need those people in those communities. And I tell you, Reggie, I'm of the, the mindset when I'm ready to retire, I'm heading to the country. So you'd find me a space, I, you know, find me somewhere. I need to be near water, you know. Now, I want to, don't put me down there near Oki Finoki Swamp because they have gators and I don't do well. No, we're going to put you down in Blackshear, Georgia. Now, where is there that? That's Southeast Georgia. They have good barbecue down there? Absolutely. Nah, everybody tells me that. <laughs> <laughs> Reggie Taylor is the state director for the USDA's Rural Development Program in Georgia. Reggie, we're going to check back in with you on those infrastructure upgrades as well as health care ac- access to quality health care for our rural populations. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Look forward to our follow-up. All right. Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. You know, there's really not much to say, but let's just revisit some of that conversation with Goody Mob. Yes, sir. We in the house. Yeah. It's strictly for my people right here. Nobody else. So if you don't get it, don't worry about it. Here we go. I do it for my people, like David the Goliath. Off with your head, everybody start a riot. Sick and tired of excuses, people get your together. All you really needed was food, clothing, shelter. My people at the exit with that cardboard sign. Uh, I could have let it just play. We all here bopping. Years ago, Washington Post writer Jeffrey Himes wrote the following when he was talking about the emergence of the South within hip-hop, and he wrote, quote, but the real action is in Atlanta, where the Goody Mob and Outkast have been developing a thick central sound to go with their southern draws, even as they reconnect hip-hop to its most honorable roots, the politically, morally conscious lyrics of Grandmaster Flash and Public Enemy, close quote. Now, that was in 1998, but three years earlier, the South already had something to say. We all know about that, and it was coming from this musical collective known as the Dungeon Family. I know because I was here. 1995, Goody Mob releases Soul Food, an ode to the Atlanta way of life, and combined with the reality of black Southern life. Guess what? It's 25 years later. They're legends, veterans. I told CeeLo earlier they're old, and they're back with a new project called Survival Kid. <laughs> Join a closer look. Big Gip, CeeLo, Cujo, Timo is dogging in as we speak. Fellas, welcome. How you welcome. doing? Yo, yo. Y'all old. <laughs> yeah, oh. Uh, 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 really. Oh no. Really. I, I, I think we could outwrap most of the people that's out now. You absolutely uh, right on that. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> fellas, uh before we dig into survival kit, which by the way, someone described to me as a a cinematic experience. 
But I want to go back a little bit, and I'm, I'm going to start with uh, Timo since he just got on. But you know what? When you all think back to those those literal red clay dirt days in producer Rico Wade's mama basement, uh, I'll start with you, Timo. Can you recall the first time you all got together in that in that dungeon? And did you know it was something special, man? Yeah, I can't say. I recall the first time being in the dungeon. I remember me and Cujo Goody went over there to get uh, uh, some tracks from Ray. And when we got there, it was it was uh, it was loaded with people in there. They had uh, PA, Parental Advisor, the rap group. <laughs> we had Ray there, had Rico there, had Pat there, had um, F5 from TLC there, uh, T Bar from TLC was there. Mm-hmm. And um, me and Cujo Good, I think, I don't know if Gipton was there. I can't recall, but I can't remember that. If we were doing a free, oh yeah, Andre was there and Big Boy was there. We were doing a, a freestyle. We had a freestyle battle that night. And I just remember, man, it was electrifying in there. Everybody was spitting. Everybody was excited. Everybody wanted to be heard. And then everybody gave each other a shot at, at spitting something in front of everybody. So it, it was massive. It was awesome. Gip, you was Gip there? Gip, you were there? Uh, the actual night he talking about, I don't know. I remember the actually the first time I remember Low and Killer B mm-hmm. and, and and JD coming over there for the first time. I remember that night. So that that's, that's the night that I was there. And everything coming together all at the same time. Like it was kind of kind of crazy. It was like, you know, they was working on the TLC. They was doing the remix at the same time. You know, they was working on Outkast and trying to get them onto the TLC songs, and, and Goody Mob was already kind of like forming around them. So, you know, me and CeeLo walked in. I was coming from a group called East Point Chain Gang. CeeLo was solo. And, you know, at that time, it was just, you know, after the success of the first Outkast album, mm-hmm. that's when Reek said, man, they want to sign all y'all in. That's when we formed Goody Mob. Now, Cujo, it, was, it really, it, it, was it really a basement? <laughs> was it more so just a crawl space? Because it was, it was tight up in there. <laughs> I don't see crawl spaces and I don't see basements before. But what I think that this was, this was actually probably a crawl space that was dug out into a basement. Because once you go downstairs, the front wall is dirt, right? Mm-hmm. The front wall is dirt. And then if you go up a little bit, you can see a little bit of space like this going back that way. So I think somebody probably dug it out and put a furnace down there and everything. But yeah, it was, I could, I, I mean, me thinking about it now, I can't, I can't believe we was down there really making music. I mean. <laughs> CeeLo, what, it, what, that, I, that's why I asked that. Cause I've seen some pictures. CeeLo, Rico's mom must've been straight cool to have all y'all down there spitting and doing oh, whatever. She, oh, Miss Beatrice is, uh, is an angel. She cool. She cool and cool. She cool and cool. <laughs> like I, I, I remember Timo was just saying this the other day when we were doing the interview, and he was just like, you know, if if it had not have been their household, we don't know if it had, had it ever happened because it wouldn't happen over nobody else's house. That's for sure. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so yeah, no, she was cool and cool, man. Bless her heart. Thanks. It's always mama that come through. Um, CeeLo, let me stay with you for a moment because back in those days, and I'm curious how y'all handle, because you heard others talking about this Southern hip-hop sound, and let's be really clear, folks were not kind about it, you know, especially folks from 
I don't want to mention areas, New York. Uh, and I loved and I yeah. grew up with that. So I, I love it all. But, you know, how did y'all handle all that? Because you could have took it in a more violent way, but you all didn't. CeeLo, I'll let you start on that. Um, I mean, we took it as, uh, I, I'll say we took it as just, you know, disassociation or just ignorance. You, you know what I mean? Like we, we were still basically, it was still early. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, you know, everything was starting to take a shape and a form. You know what I mean? Um, you know, but fundamentally every other region in extension of East Coast uh, New York, uh, you know, original hip hop, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, like, is what it was. So, like, it was all derivative, you know what I mean, like, you know, of the origin of where it all comes from. You know what mm-hmm. I mean, like, we know that that East Coast, you know, is the mother and the mecca of hip hop, you know what I mean? So, um, we definitely had the unconditional love, you know, and admiration for the way that it had, a, had an effect on us, you know. Um, but you know, as, as it as it as it evolves, sometimes it changes names. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, you know, so what? We don't even know what. I've been saying this because we've been answering this question uh, mm-hmm. recently. So you know, Africa Bambada and the Soul Sonic Force, Planet Rock. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, you know that was what ultimately evolved. But in their pitch, in their opinion, they may have been digressed. Um, to skating rink music or Miami bass, you know what I mean? But like it was, but it had to be an evolutional because like, you know, we took independent action. I mean, like, you know, like New York was the empire States, you know what I mean? All of the labels were there, you know, you can jump in the cab and go around the corner and, you know, go up an elevator, you know, and, and get a record deal. I mean, like we didn't have that luxury in the South. So you got to give it to people like Luke Skywalker, you know, you know, in Miami, Magic Mike in Orlando, Jay Prince, of course, in Texas, you know what I mean? Like, you know, who who, who really uh, forged, you know, um, and built a infrastructure and foundation um, inspiring the independent attitude of the South. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like, if nobody else liked it, we liked it, you know what I mean? Like for what it was at the time and we supported ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's how we sustained ourselves until we broke wide, you know, and got back that, that nationwide and then ultimately international uh, recognition. Cujo, let me come to you for a moment, man, because I was looking at some old, older interviews y'all did with BET Teen Summit and MTV, Yo MTV Raps and all that. And you all talked about the fact that, you know what, this is who we are. This is Atlanta. This is our sound. And y'all have stayed true to that. You know, a lot of acts, you know, sometimes they have to change with the whatever the current popular art form is but y'all have stayed true to that and for folks listening that may not know it sometimes I want to back away from saying the southern hip-hop or the southern sound because only y'all can define that how do you when people say that to you what do you tell them about what is the southern sound Cujo man that's a great question man because me and Gil was just talking about that it's like what do you call the music that we do what do you call that I mean you can't call it well, you probably can, but you can't call it crump music. Mm-hmm. You can't really call it music. You can't really call it uh, mumble music. You know what I mean? So it's almost as if though you got to create a whole nother genre for the type of music that we do, because it's it it it, um, it encompasses all of this stuff I just said mm-hmm. because that, that came after us, which is cool. You know what I mean? So I mean, 
that's a that's a hard question because like I said, you got genres like blues, and you got genres like jazz, and you got genres like country. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I remember he called it country rap tunes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Truth serum, truth music. I don't. I I, I don't know because. I guess you just had to place it in the hip hop because hip hop is so broad because it's a bunch of, well, first it started out with a bunch of young black men mm-hmm. talking about what they've gone through through life and what they can do to maybe uh, maybe curb that, that hit that's coming. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what you would call it, man. I mean, it's like I say, hip hop is a big umbrella. <clears throat> Joe, can, can I cap off that? Because then look, yeah. If you 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 gotta, I mean, ironically enough, you could you could you could consider what was, um, you know, essentially New York hip hop as Southern hip hop, simply because at the at the time everything was sampling James Brown and yep. somebody from the region. So it's like wow. you know, he's he's from Macon, wow. Georgia. So yeah. Eric B. and Rock, wow. I mean, that's old. I mean, uh, you know, come on. I mean, like that's James Brown. This. Blatant James right. Brown. Yeah, and let's be really right. clear too, fellas, because if it wasn't for a fella named you know Clyde on the drums on you know on the sticks, then uh, a lot of that wouldn't have happened. Right. Gip, yeah, funky drums. Absolutely. Gip, do you have you been able to harness what the sound is, or you just let it be? You don't have time to explain it to folks. It's life music. It's life music. We feed life people. music. You know what I mean? We feed people. We 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 feed people through the music, and we teach to live. Well, most most of our music, ninety eight percent of it, is, it teach you to, to to run to death. It's just we do right. like music. You know right. what I mean? So it's a difference, you know, with us. Timo, let me ask you this: What is it about? You know, groups have folks get along. Sometimes folks don't get along. We we've seen enough of behind the music. How do you all work through if there are some differences of opinion about a track, about who should lay this bit or who should do that? How have y'all been able to work through that over over the years? Or do y'all settle it like with, you know, a wrestling? I mean, you know. (laughs) (laughs) We don't really have, I can't really recall many times where, I mean, if you you don't like the track, no, you know what I'm saying? That's how we do it. You know, we don't really try to force the hand of each other and make you get on. Can't nobody make you rap on nothing. So, I mean, if you're feeling the beat, you know, somebody, you know, we always just kind of others. I mean, I, I can't explain. I mean, a lot of other people just don't have the, the connection. But I guess being that we all grew up together, went to high school together, been around each other all of our lives, just develop for level to be around and comfortable with everybody. It's comfortable for me to be around CeeLo. I've been knowing him all his life. It's comfortable yeah. for me to be around Joe Goodman. I've been knowing him all his life. He was a young man. I've been knowing Kip. We were kids. You know what I mean? So it, when we go in the studio and they pull up a beat or something, we all look at each other. We say, you feeling how you feeling? You like that? I mean, and we just give each other the creative you know, to be who they are. You know what I mean? As artists. I got so you on that. Between the group. You know what I mean? I feel you on that. I want to talk about not just the beats. And we and, and look, Organized Noise, we're going to get to them a little bit later because they are crucial in all of this. But let's talk about the content. Let's talk about the environment that you all were orators about. And even with Survival Kit, you're, you're relaying what's currently happening right now 
in our nation. You look, you got Chuck D, obviously Andre and Big Boy on there, but in keeping in Goody Mob tradition, I'll start with you, Gip, the tracks represent what's taking place in our nation. And what comes to mind for me, of course, is Frontline. Mm-hmm. That was, that's organic for you all. Yeah, that's what we do. Um, uh, I, I guess when we started going into the studio, you know, before we went into the studio, you know, organized, we was back and forth with organizing. You know, the main thing they wanted to do was take the conversations that we was having about what we, we all was going through at the time and put it into the music. That's and right. I think from, from just our conversations with each other, it ignited both sides of, okay, they locked back in. Okay, we locked back in. Let's see what it's going to sound like when we go put it on tape. And um, the first record we recorded, uh, man, Low laid that first verse on uh, Survival Kit, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the title track. And after he did that, I think it was just an avalanche of us just going, you know, like, because once the album got started, I mean, it was just like riding a bike. We know what we do. See, just like how people go in the studio and they know how to go in there and do them club records, just that's what they know how to do. Mm-hmm. When it comes to what we do, we organically do this. So it's it's almost like we don't need no help with this. Every, all we need is organized and ourselves. How often do you hear folks say your song, your message spoke to me or altered my way of thinking or, or my approach to what I want to do in this life? Timo, you back with us. How often y'all hear that from folks? Very often. I can definitely say that very, very often, which is a warming, wonderful, strong feeling to know that your music means that much to people that they carry it throughout their life. It changes the, the, the direction in which they want to go with their life just by hearing some music that we unintentionally did to, to change, to try to change, you know, the, the mindsets of people in the South. We didn't, I mean, we, we, we didn't know that we can't, say that when we made soul food album that man we're gonna change the world with this we're gonna come out and change people's lives we're gonna make sure that everybody want to give some some hope and some you know some some uh words of encouragement knowing that they're gonna be all right you know listen to our music or whatever we didn't we didn't know all of that we just did some music just to just to create something that we could be proud of something that will represent us 20 30 years after we drop it Mm-hmm. And we can still stand on it like, yeah, that's what we meant back then, and that's what we still mean today. And, right. you know, and I give I give God all the glory and all the praise to that, you know, because, like I said, we were just four young men, very young men, that was really doing the same types of things that a lot of these rappers rap about today. We just mm-hmm. didn't choose to glorify our our role. You know, we 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 chose to 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 try to try to present a ray of hope for 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 kids and for the youth and for for young adults and for anybody that really wanted to listen. We wanted to let them know that, man, you know, there is an alternative to the type of music that we're hearing out here. You know, it is something different. I mean, I was inspired by, you know, all of the artists, the New York artists. So I can't diss New York. We can't diss West Coast. We, mm-hmm. we, they birthed us. You know what I mean? We came from them. Without them, it wouldn't be us. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's love, you know, all the way across the board. You know what I mean? But, you know, just to stay on your question, you know, that's, that, that's my answer. Hopefully, I answered it correctly. No, you did. You did perfectly. Gip, what do you want to add when you hear people say what an influence you were on them personally, not just musically, but personally? Uh, it's, it, it's like Timo said. It's it's a wonderful feeling. It's gratifying. At the same time, it's humbling. But you know, at the same time too, like, 
you know, some of the teachers that George Clinton always told us, he said, man, you know, never get stuck on one record because you're always working on the next one, mm-hmm. you know? So with the things that we discuss, even on new on a new album, it's just like, as soon as we lay them, we, we, we trying to find what's next. So it's like, uh, to know that people love Goody Mob like they do, and for us to be able to come back and give y'all a record like For My People, it's gratifying after 25 years to know that you can still connect with the people that put you where you are. Yeah. So that's the part. Oh. CeeLo, I had a, a listener just who wants to know, you know, what, what what took y'all so long? It's been seven years. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody wants you to put out an album every year, which some folks do, but that's all on them. But, you know. What took us so long? Um, to be totally honest, I, I really don't know. I mean, um, I really didn't realize that much, that much time had gone by, to be, to be honest. You know what I mean? Um, I think we've all kept pretty busy being proactive about this, that, and the third. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, but, you know, it was just this this living condition of a pandemic and quarantine uh, that really kind of cleared the space. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like for people to not only uh, need, uh, demand, you know, like, you know, uh, but really plead for you know a, a goodie mob album like we it, it was a it was a resounding you know command from people you know what I mean like we need it now we, mm-hmm. we not only do we want it but we need it you know what I'm saying and I think people attribute that to what wisdoms we were able to convey you know what I mean so early on and ahead of our times I guess they figured that you know we would have some solution or something you know, solid to say, you know, like that would give some guidance and give some direction, some clarity, some closure, some peace and comfort because, you know, everybody was blindsided, you mm-hmm. know, by, by, by the situation, you know what I mean? And apparently um, we weren't because we spoke on it 25 years earlier, you know what I'm saying? So like yeah. it was, it was a really safe assumption that we would be able to, you know, uh, enlighten even further if only we had the ears of the people again, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, and it's also about the way the way the way the message is packaged and 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 presented to the people. Like it's how they want it. You know what I mean? Like and what they wanted was building up together again with organized noise. And that's mm-hmm. what we got. That's what we gave. Well, and if right. folks, if folks, hold on, Gip. If folks doubt CeeLo and what he just said, just check out Cell Therapy. Go ahead, Gip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only time I get to be opinionated on this show. <laughs> well, you know. Uh, if you think about the lyrics, um, everything that we said in that song has, is now our reality. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's a trip because now, you know, to name the album Survival Kit, this is the survival kit for the new world. Like last March when the, the old world died, this is the new world. So with being that, that's why you have records like Me Time. That's why you have records like Come Before the Storm. Mm-hmm. That's why you have records like Amazing grace. We have to teach these kids that it is something special to live to be older. Oh, you know, so and cute. another thing is, it's like, if Goody Mob is successful, know that Goody Mob would probably be the first rap group that ever sold music and was popular and still had gray on their face. Yeah. See, if we're able to make gray popular, just like, they <laughs> have, like they have, they've, they've been able to make death popular, then, you know, right, a lot more than a kid's going to live. Look at Big Gip but, representing for the Silvers. 
(laughs) (laughs) I want to bring Timo in because I want to talk about the connection and the the love from the AUC, you know, because that tends that that tends to be the area when new folks come out and they're like, we give props to Greg Street for playing a lot of folks. And I got to do that for my man, Greg, over at V103. But also, before you can get radio play, you just take it to the streets. And the AUC has always been that place where you take it to the kids. How how instrumental was that that whole neighborhood, that environment for you all, Timo? Oh, that, that, that neighborhood, I mean, was so instrumental in carving my path. I can honestly say, you know, I was a student at Morris Brown College from 1990 up until I was into Goody Mob. Right. And I, I found myself in my freshman year. That's the year that I decided, you know what? I want to get into music. I want to get into doing rap music. And my inspiration was my brother Cujo, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And he, he he came to me and said, you know, I did this song with my homeboy Phil. And Phil was a guy that me and Cujo we used to hang out with all the time, especially late night hype over my dormitory, drinking, kicking it, just doing it with young. You were drinking in the dude. dorm, Timo? No, and, you know better. You know, that. it inspired me. I, I think I can do this. I think I can. <laughs> No, we're drinking lemonade, you know. We, uh, oh, you know, okay. All right. Y'all was drinking lemonade at Morris Brown yeah. Dormitory. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Lemonade mixed with that MD-2020. You know, who's on that? Seen that thunder? Okay, Cujo, you're going to take responsibility for the lemonade. But let's talk about that sound, man, because um, this is where we need to get into organized noise. The sound. What is it about the sound that, that Rico and Sleepy and all the fellas can can lay down for you all that just a natural fit? Cujo, I'll let you start on that one. Now you gave me the hard air question. That's all right. He's <laughs> not throwing softballs, he's throwing hard balls this way. No, mm-hmm. easy question, man. And I um I talk about this experience all the time with uh with Ray Murphy, Rico Wade. They took me somewhere in Decatur one day where they was looking for some um for some um some records to go through. So we go out here to this man house, man. I'm telling this dude look like Wayne Williams to me. I mean, never seen this guy before in my life. But this guy has records, all his walls of records, going down his hallway of records. And he has like a little Fisher Price um, record player where he's playing the records on. So these brothers are going from East Point, Atlanta, all the way to Decatur, Georgia, somewhere to get to dig in the crates, to get records, to come back to Atlanta to play for us, to see if if we like the music. You know what I'm saying? So with that being said, man, Organized Noise, man, they just been, man, they're in a a class of their own. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not only do they listen to music that come before them, but they... They put that together and make it their own music and come out with their own. Mm-hmm. That's why you're hearing stuff like players ball. You ain't never heard no music like that before in your life. Mm-hmm. Players ball. <laughs> you know I got you. CeeLo, you want to add something to that for the public radio listener? Can we not use profanity on your show? Did, you know what, man? Look, I. I'm not the David Banner podcast, so. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but you lo- use it in context, so we just go. But yeah. <laughs> the sound. I think the sound. Um, definitely, 
lends itself to just the natural, you know, environment, you know, and accessibility. Uh, because let's say we can make it, we can connect a AUC, we can connect uh, HB, you know what I mean, like all, all the black colleges here. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, and the culture that came along with that. You know what I mean? Um, live musicianship, you know what I mean? Like, you know, so, um, and then, you know, extending on further back, the rural South, whether that's mm -hmm. Mississippi, you know, um, so on and so forth. Uh, you know, St. Louis, you know, all this stuff is, you know, live mu music. So I think with Organized Noise, what they did was, I mean, not to say they wanted the live musicians in New York, you know what I mean? Like, you know, but, you know, I think it was just an aesthetic that was used, just to, you know, maybe it was a shortcut to producing the sample. But it was still in in, in um, the ingenu ingenuity mm -hmm. of the usage of a sample that was still like you know um, uh, um, what's the what's the word um, that's like a, a holy grail. I mean like you know uh, because so so much everything else come from that. But what organized noise did was let's say if you use a sample and once we started getting more um, literate you know music business literate you know what I mean like about you know infringements or, or or when you know sample clearances or just sure. the, the mere cost of a usage you know i mean we started to think to ourselves okay well you know maybe we can be inspired by that piece of music pull it pull it out you know play over top of it almost mimic it you know pull the original piece out and then you have the, the live you know interpolation is what they call mm -hmm. you know what i mean like so and, and before you know what you're playing, you can improvise and you can color outside of the lines and confines of the sample, and then you ultimately have an original piece of music. And that's how Organized Notes created all this organic live, you know, um, instrumentation. You know what I mean? And then hip hop is always, always equated to drum. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, hey, as long as the drums is hard, you know, um, it's hip hop. Do they get mm -hmm. enough? Go ahead, Gip, you can add, but I'm, I'm curious to do, do organized noise, do the fellas get enough credit, you think, not just to the Southern hip-hop, whatever you call it, but just to hip-hop in general and how far this genre has come? I mean, we they all... They don't. Yeah, go ahead. They don't. They don't. And it's it, it's simply, it's, it's again, it's the systematic, it's, the, it's a systematic system uh, that's always been in place. You know, when you really, when you really put the paperwork down and you really look at the black and white, it ain't too many people that outsold the dungeon for me. It ain't too many people that did the kind of artist organized noise has. And it ain't too many producers that ain't grown the kind of artists they ain't grown. And to be this strong 25 years later, like we see a lot of people walking around saying these people are great, these people great. But a lot of people that they say great only had two albums. Hmm. These dudes have done every kind of music you can do. You know what I mean? And when you look at it, it's like, Mm. When you look at a lot of New York or or even Los Angeles production, they all sound New York, that's Jane Brown. LA, that's that's uh, Zach. George King. Yeah. George, George King. King. Roger Troutman. Absolutely. That's right. Snoop see, even told y'all, yeah. He even has a godfather. But when you look at our at our music, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's us. So understand our fight has been totally different than the New York and Los Angeles because we wanted our own string. We wanted our own sound. We wanted to be able right. to say what we wanted to do and how we wanted to say it. And I think right. that at the end of the day, it's just it hasn't been respected because Atlanta has not been the place where the checks are written. Mm -hmm. But I think now that if you see 
Now that you see the Grammys is moving their office to Atlanta, and now YouTube, sooner or later, Atlanta will be writing chicks. And once that's said, then it's over with. Whoa. Yeah. Big Gip, CeeLo, Cujo, Timo, Goody Mob, listen, thank you all for taking the time. Thank you for the sound that told Atlanta's story. I could probably go on a whole nother hour, but thank you for taking the time. Much continued success, fellas. Um, don't don't make us wait another seven years, though. But if you do, if it's going to be like this, then it's cool. Everybody wants to hear a Goody Mob record, which I, 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 I would love to my record too so you know that's just what it is you guys just look at our our solo efforts too so it's only building up to a goodie mark record you feel what i'm saying so mm-hmm. much respect to the fans man for hanging in there man just for the patience and for um just for the, the endless support we appreciate it cujo CeeLo, big gip timo thank you so much fellas i hey, appreciate hey. it Thank you, Rose. Thank you. That's it for this edition of Closer Look. Janine Etter, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Razel are producers. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other, send me an email, as you all do, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash closer look. And of course, listen to Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.